We are to be ready for the return of Christ. And though the delay may seem long, God will bring justice to his people. God will make everything right. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. The other day I saw a trailer for a movie that's coming up that I want to see. It's called Oppenheimer. If you've seen that, you know what that's about. It's about the development of the atomic bomb. But uh, one of the people in that trailer, the character, the general, who was, uh, had responsibility for leading that program up, he was speaking of it as being you know, the most important event in human history. And I thought, you know, that might be an exaggeration. You know, that now it's no doubt that was a very significant event in human history, wasn't it? But was that the most significant thing in human history? It was not. The most significant thing in human history is the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the most significant thing yet upcoming in human history related to that is what? The the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus Christ. We have been looking at that and saying that what Jesus is coming again that scripture very clearly proclaims that he is coming again, but it also very clearly proclaims that we cannot know exactly when that will be, but we must therefore watch and wait and be ready. And what must we do to be ready? Well, we said what? We must be ready by, first of all, getting right with God, being in a right relationship with God. It is also then walking with God, It is also then getting on board with God and what God is doing in this world. But when Jesus comes again, the word assures us, he will set all things right and he will bring perfect justice. But until then, his people, all of us, we must endure. And sometimes that means enduring through suffering or even persecution. And how can we endure through that? And when he comes, will Jesus find faith on the earth? Faith is what? It's trust. It's confidence in God to see us through and to set all things right. And I wonder, will the church be found faithful when he returns? That is our question for today. Continuing in our series, Unique, The Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is an examination of the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, a harmony of the Gospels, which is putting together the message from the Gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a harmony of them in chronological order as best as we can do, according to the order suggested in this book by John MacArthur called One Perfect Life. So as we continue in that today, We're asking this question, will Jesus find faith on the earth when he returns? Our scripture passage is from Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 14. We ask, what is the big idea? What is the main point that I want us to take away from the message here today? It is this, that though the delay may be long, God will bring justice for his people. Even though the delay may seem long, perhaps that would be a better way of phrasing that, though the delay may seem long, God will bring justice for his people. Before we look at our text in Luke 18, 
a little context then for us. Jesus has been speaking here of the coming of the kingdom and how he will return suddenly and unexpectedly to bring justice, ultimate justice to the world. And so we must be ready for that return. And again, what is the most important thing people must do to be ready for the return of Christ? To be in a right relationship with him, right? How can we be in a right relationship with God? Well, it's through faith in the saving life death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But if one is saved, that is, if one is in a right relationship with Jesus through faith, we too then must be ready for his return. How? How can believers in Jesus Christ be ready for his return? By watching, by waiting patiently, by walking in faith and obedience through the power of the Holy Spirit, and by being busy with the work of the kingdom, that is, proclaiming the gospel and fulfilling God's purposes in our lives. So we are to watch and to wait patiently. But sometimes it seems that wait is so long, doesn't it? Waiting for that day. And we see, we look around us, and we see that the world is such an evil place. We see that there is suffering everywhere. We see his church being persecuted. And so perhaps we wonder, how long, O Lord? How long must we wait for God to set things right in this world? Is there help and is there hope for us in the meantime? He is coming. But is there help and is there hope for us in the meantime? Well, let's find out. Let's look at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8 first. Jesus speaking here says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So first then, what should we do? Pray, pray and do not lose heart. Now it's important for us to understand here in this passage that that Jesus is not likening God to an unrighteous judge, a judge who really doesn't care, really doesn't want to be bothered. In fact, God is quite the opposite of that, isn't he? He is the righteous judge and he eagerly desires us to come to him, his children to come to him. So God is not 
an unrighteous judge. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And this parable then is making a point here. It's called an argument from the lesser to the greater. It is of the how much more so than variety of parable. That is, if a wicked man, if a wicked judge will sometimes do good, will sometimes do the right, even if from a bad motive, then how much more so then will God do the right thing? But as we wait for Christ's return, we must be patient and we must persevere in prayer then, entrusting ourselves to God who will make things right, that he will bring true justice for his people. He will make things right for you in your life. But you know, when we pray and we see no sign of that answer we're longing for, it can become easy to get discouraged, can it? But we must persist in prayer and not lose heart. We must not become discouraged thinking that God is not hearing our cries or that he will not set all things right because he does and he will. Now, in Jesus' day, many of the people thought that they needed to limit the times of prayer lest they wear God out. Isn't that funny, thinking that? But they did. And so they set a time. They said three, three times a day was considered the maximum. Just pray three times a day. You don't want to wear wear God out after that. But Jesus then upends all of that, doesn't he? And says, how many times a day should we pray? Well, he doesn't set a number, but he says what? We must always, always pray. And that God does not get weary of us. Now, I have to admit, I do get a little weary sometimes of people. Anybody here get a little weary sometimes of people or that? No, we have one guy, he's that, and now you need to come and confess your sin. You're lying, I know that, right? So all of us can get a little weary sometimes of people, can't we? And let's face it, do people maybe rightly ever get a little weary of you? I mean, yeah, they do, right? We all get a little weary of others. Others get a little weary of us, right? But God never gets weary of us. So we must always pray. By the way, a little note here. I believe the context of this passage here is speaking of prayer for God to bring justice, that is to make things right, and how he absolutely will do that when he comes. But of course, though, it is also appropriate to be persistent in all manner of prayers. And other scriptures elsewhere teach us to do this, don't they? To always pray, to persist in prayer, to seek God always. But here in this context, I think what he's saying is, is that we must not lose heart about his coming when he will bring justice for his people, when he will set all things right in the world. And so he's saying, don't lose heart. Don't get weary by all this and wondering, is he really coming? Yes, he is. Pour out your heart to him in prayer. So in this parable, then, we're told this this judge, 
He neither feared God nor respected man. That is what he was controlled by his own ideas and his own inclinations. He didn't care about anyone or anything else. And here this widow comes before him. And this widow was helpless and hopeless. Helpless and hopeless. She was in no position to bring justice for herself. She had no protector. And she was armed with nothing but the fact that right was on her side. I see we have a couple of rights on this side of the church right here today. Well, visiting with us, so welcome, uh, Rick and Donna. I didn't know you were coming. Surprise, surprise. And I see we were even color-coordinated here with orange and blue. I had no idea. So, so how about that? So she had nothing but right on her side. And the only thing she could do was to do what? Persevere in appealing to a higher power and authority. She had nothing but persistence. And that persistence eventually wore that wicked judge down. And in the end, he did what she requested for no higher motive than simply to be rid of her. I want you to know, when God answers prayer, he's not doing it to be rid of us. But if even this wicked judge answers, how much more so will God the righteous judge answer. So if even an unjust judge can sometimes do justice, how much more can we expect that the righteous, sovereign Lord of the universe will vindicate his elect? He will do the right. Who are the elect, the chosen ones? They're they're God's people. God's people who cry out to him day and night. And they pray with an unwearied persistence. They realize that they are in great need. And they recognize that their one hope is what? Is in God. Yes, that's right back there. (laughs) So in his time, God will answer their cries. In his time, he will answer our cries in his time he will answer your cry now that answer may seem long delayed from our perspective Mm -hmm. (laughs) but he will do right at the right time and in the right way in the meantime though he will strengthen and encourage us as we persist in prayer. Vindication will come, and it will come speedily, in fact. Speedily, you might say, this doesn't seem to be happening very speedily from my perspective. Well, speedily from God's perspective, and from this perspective of eternity, from the perspective of forever and ever and ever. Oh, his answer is coming quite speedily indeed. How speedily is his answer coming? From the perspective of forever and ever and ever, his eternal plan of redemption? Well, here's something, I've, uh, uh, an illustration I've used before. I want to remind you of that then and then kind of take off from that a little bit. Remember I said, sometimes we can get a little discouraged and we're wondering, you know, it's like, what is God up to? When is he going to answer 
this prayer? What is he doing in my life? And we might think that he's delaying and delaying and delaying. But then think about how long really is that delay from the perspective of God's eternal plan and purpose for us and for his church? How long is that delay from the perspective of forever and ever for your life? Remember, what if your life, if we had a, an, a, an imaginary tape measure here, and, 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 and we started unrolling that, and, and that tape measure, your life, let's say, was one inch, just a typical human lifespan. Let's say 80 years, 80 years, it's one inch on that. And we start unfurling that out there. We imagine that this thing just continues on and on. This tape measure goes all the way into all the way to the edge of the observable universe. How far away is that out there? Well, it's nearly 100 billion light years across, we think. What's a light year? It's the distance light travels in a year. How fast is light? 186,000 miles per second, which works out to what? About 670 million miles per hour. You ever just think about how big space really is, the universe, right? So imagine if you had a ship that could travel the speed of light. It can't, but we're not going to go into all the boring physics of that. But let's say it could, okay? Traveling at the speed of light, 670 million miles per hour. Just to get to our next door neighbor star, take over four years just to get to the next door neighbor star traveling at that speed. Take over 100,000 years just to go from one end of our galaxy, the Milky Way, to the other. Take over two million years just to get to our next door neighbor galaxy. And there's hundreds of billions of them. It takes a hundred billion years to get from one end of the observable universe to the other, traveling at 670 million miles an hour. So imagine that tape measure is just extending out there all the way to that end, and your life is one inch on that. But you know, we said even that really doesn't, that doesn't illustrate eternity or forever, does it? Because even as long as that is, it eventually does end, right? But forever never ends, does it? So there really isn't an illustration for us. But just imagine that. So again, what is our life and what God is doing in it that's going to impact that forever and ever and ever? So I've challenged us with that in the past. I want us just to imagine then here for a minute. Okay, well, what about, we're talking about God's, Delay, And it seems like, when is he coming again? When is he going to set things right? It seems like he's just delaying so long. And yet God says his answer is coming speedily. Well, here's a little perspective. Let's imagine, oh, let's say 6,000. Our lives about 80 years, okay? Let's imagine the span of recorded human civilization here, which is what, about 6,000 years? So if your life, 80 years, is one inch, 6,000 years, the entirety of human civilization recorded history here, 6,000 years of that, what is, how many inches is that on that? That is? 7.35. Correct. Somebody got his calculator out and did it. <laughs> so what is it? It's a little over six feet. <laughs> your life is an inch. Human history so far? 
a little over six feet compared to, now I don't know when Jesus is coming again, but he says it's soon. And I don't know when or how long it, 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 that's going to be, but it's soon. But think about that. That's six feet on that tape measure. What is that compared to forever and ever? So does it make sense when Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon, right? You see why he tells us to be patient? Do you see why he says he will not delay his answer long? So Jesus asks then, will he find faith on the earth when he comes? That is, when he comes, will, will he find people persisting in faith? Now, I got to tell you, the people of this world, no, they will not be looking to him. He will not find faith in them. But will his elect be found trusting him to answer in his time when he tells them, I'm coming soon? I will not delay. I want us to look at another parable here that brings out the spirit in which people should pray. That's in Luke 18, verses 9 through 14. Luke 18, verses 9 through 14 says, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So we ought to pray and not lose heart. But I would suggest too, we need to receive the gift of righteousness through humble faith. Receive the gift of righteousness, a rightness, a right standing with God through faith, humble faith. So this second parable then, it brings out the spirit in which we ought to pray, humble faith, recognizing our need before God, crying out for his mercy. It also very emphatically repudiates the idea that anyone can be saved by their own efforts to do so and to do good, to do things that they think are somehow going to result in their justification, their being made right with God. You see, what the Pharisee says there about himself was true. But his problem was not that he was not far enough along the road to being right with God, to being justified with God. It, it's not that he just, well, he just needed to do more 
to get there. His problem was is that he was on the wrong road altogether, wasn't he? Because relying or trusting in our works, our efforts, is the wrong road. We'll never do enough, will we? What is the right road? Trusting in the one who did do enough, Jesus, the perfect one. So the Pharisee, he's in the temple praying, and it's where we would expect a religious person like the Pharisee to be. But there was also someone there praying who we would not expect to see there, the tax collector. He was a very unlikely candidate to be engaged in prayer in the temple. As a tax collector, he would be considered a dishonest, cheating traitor. Other than that, a pretty great guy, I'm sure. But that's how he would have been perceived by the people of his day. The tax collector, that's about as low as you could go in their eyes, right? But nevertheless, here he is praying in the temple. Note how the Pharisee, I I love this story here because we kind of want to smirk at this Pharisee a little bit, but have any of us ever maybe thought this way a little bit about ourselves? Here he is, he's comparing himself to someone else, thinking he is so much above. He is exalted above that person. He's exalting himself in his prayer, and he wants to make sure that God knows how righteous he is He's not like other men. He's not an extorter. He's not unjust. He's not an adulterer. He's certainly not like this tax collector here. In fact, what does he do? Well, he fasts twice a week. Well, you know, in the law, a fast was prescribed once a year. Now, of course, you could fast at any time, right? But it was prescribed once a week. And so now the Pharisees, they were pretty impressed with themselves because they didn't just fast once a year. And they didn't even fast once a week. They fasted twice a week. Wow, they're pretty righteous people, aren't they? So he fasts twice a week. He gives tithes of all that he gets. He gives 10% of all that he gets. He makes sure, gives that back to God, give that to the temple. Now, I don't have any reason to doubt he's telling the truth. I'm sure he did fast twice a week. I'm sure he did give all those tithes. I'm also pretty sure he thought pretty highly of himself. Quite impressive just how righteous this man was, right? And I'm sure God was really impressed with all that too, don't you think? No. But then look at the very different attitude of the tax collector. He wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. He beat his chest in sorrowful repentance He cries out for mercy because he knows he's a sinner. And this man humbly recognizes his sinfulness and he cries out to God for mercy. And somewhat surprisingly to many of the people listening, I'm sure, that day, maybe even to people today might be surprised by this, Jesus says, which one of those two was justified? Which one of those was accepted and considered righteous by God? Which one? The Pharisee? No. The tax collector. Jesus said that man, the tax collector, not the Pharisee, that man, the tax collector, he went home that day justified. That is right. 
right with God. Why? Because of all the good works he had done? No. Because he had humbled himself before God. Admitted who he was and what he was and cried out for God's mercy. And God responds then to that cry with what? With grace, with mercy and grace. And that person is justified, made right with God. And Jesus concludes by saying what? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. What a beautiful picture here of justification by faith. That is, of being made right with God, not on the basis of our works or what we do, but by simply humbly and humbly acknowledging ourselves before God of what we are, confessing that before him and receiving his mercy and grace. So I asked before, are you ready for the return of Jesus? He is coming, and he's coming soon. Certainly, maybe not in your lifetime or mine, but certainly in the perspective of human history, compared to forever and ever, oh, he's coming very soon, isn't he? So are you ready for that? We said, how can we be ready? Well, by getting right with God, that is putting our trust in the perfect life, the sacrificial death, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus, putting our trust in him, repenting of our sin, turning away from that, and turning to God, receiving his forgiveness and mercy, and trusting ourselves to the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to save us. Get right with God. Walk with God. That's what? That's for the person who has been made right with God through faith. We walk with God. That is a a trusting obedience. Living the kinds of lives that God wants us to do. Are good works important? Sure they are. God has created us, designed us to walk in those good works, but can they save us? No. We're saved by faith, but once we are saved, we do what? We are to walk in that. To be made more like Jesus, to know him better, to become more like him, to fulfill those good purposes in our lives. That last one, get on board with God. Get on board means what? What is God at work? What is God at work in the world doing? He is He's saving people. Get on board with that by proclaiming the gospel, fulfilling the unique purpose that God has made you for. That's how we're ready for the return of Jesus. But here's the other question for today then. Are you waiting patiently? Are you waiting patiently for the return of Jesus? And I want to share quickly with you a wonderful passage from my favorite chapter in Scripture. I know that's kind of an ongoing joke here, isn't it? I always say my favorite book or my favorite passage and that. And I've got a lot of favorites. By the way, do you know that you're my favorite member of the church here, Lloyd? So, yeah, exactly. So, but, no, I got a lot of favorites here, right? Now, that doesn't mean I play favorites or favorites. That's that's another thing entirely. No, I consider you all my favorite here. You're my favorite pastor? Thank you. That's, that's, That's good. So, good. So, 
But this chapter, Romans 8, really is my favorite chapter of Scripture. And someday, and I don't know when it will be, when the Lord calls me home, I actually have this written down, okay? Whoever preaches that funeral memorial service, I want it to be from Romans 8. But I want to read a little bit here, and I want us to see what this passage is telling you about who you are. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, who you are in Christ, and what you have to look forward to, and why then we must wait patiently. I'm going to just read 10 verses from that chapter. It's Romans 8, verses 15 through 25. Romans 8, verses 15 through 25. Here Paul is speaking to believers in Jesus. He says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. If you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a child of God. Scripture says you have received the spirit of adoption, the Holy Spirit. When you believed in him, God gave you his spirit who took up residence within you. And by him we cry out to God, not, oh, remote, holy, just, sovereign of the universe. He is all of that. But we say, what? no, we call him Abba, Father, Daddy. And the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. How many of you know what that verse is talking about? You've experienced, you know what that is when the Holy Spirit is testifying with your spirit. You belong to God. You're his child, and you know it, right? You're a child of God. You are an error of God. What is an error? That's H-E-I-R, not E-R. Some of us think we are E-R-R-O-Rs of God, right? But we're not. We are H-E-I-R, errors of God. Meaning what? 
An heir is one who is going to receive an inheritance, a blessing, a gift. Now, this isn't a financial gift. It's what? It's, a, it's actually much better than any of that. It's eternal life and, and, the, and the blessings of God forever and ever. It's many things. And you are an heir of God. You are going to receive what you, you have only experienced right now, a tiny, tiny portion of the goodness of God that yet awaits you. You're a child of God. You're an heir with God. You are united with Christ. You put your faith in him. You were joined up with him in his perfect life, in his substitutionary death, in his victory over sin in the grave, and in his resurrection. You share with him in all of that. You are destined for freedom. God has set you free in Christ. You do not experience it fully just yet, but you will and I will. Set free from the curse, from the bondage to sin and death and all that that means, the corruption, the evil, the suffering. And in fact, God isn't only setting his children free from all of that, he's going to set the whole creation free from it. See, the whole creation right now is under the curse, God's judgment on sin. But the day is coming when that is going to be lifted. And the creation itself will rejoice in the freedom that we have as well. You're destined for freedom. You're destined for resurrection. You're united with Christ in his life. You're united with him in his death. You are united with him in his burial, and you will be united with him in his resurrection from the grave. His body was transformed powerfully. Is it a physical body? Yes, but gloriously changed and transformed. There's a continuity. It's like that mortal body that you have right now. God is going to take it. Scripture says it's like a seed that is going to plant in the earth and it's going to spring forth in powerful new life. And your body is the seed that's going to be transformed and spring forth in the powerful new body of the resurrection. No more subject to, to death, to aging, to illness. You're destined for that because you're united with Christ. But until that day, what must we do? We must wait patiently. You're called to wait patiently. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. You don't hope for something you already have, do you? You hope for something that is yet to come. But it is what? Hope in the scripture is absolutely assured, guaranteed, right? God will do this. And he backs it up with his perfect character and his all-sufficient power. So what? What should we do? We are to be ready for the return of Christ. And though the delay may be long, or I guess in retrospect now I should have said, though the delay may seem long, right? Though the delay may seem long, God will bring justice to his people. God will make everything right. So I'm going to conclude with these two questions. Are you ready for the return of Jesus? Three things, three things get right with God. Walk with God. Get on board with God. 
And then are you waiting patiently for the return of Jesus? Are you waiting patiently? Three things here. Persist. Persist in prayer. Trust God to make all things right. And then wait in hope. Wait in hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wondrous hope that we have in our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. God, we know that there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to make ourselves right with you, that we must simply acknowledge the truth about ourselves to confess our sin, to repent and turn from that and turn to you, Lord Jesus Christ, the true and the living God, the Savior who humbled himself, the Son of God who humbled himself and came into this world. He was made one of us. He lived a life of perfect faith and obedience to your word, your law. He willingly went to the cross where there he did not just suffer physically, but he suffered spiritually when he who knew no sin became sin for us, when the judgment for our sin was carried out on him, when he stood in our place and took that judgment for us so that we wouldn't have to. He died, he was buried, and then he rose in victory. He rose in victory over sin and death. And your word assures us that when we trust in him, we're united with him in that perfect life, we're united with him in his death, and we're united with him in his victory. And one day, Lord, you will raise these mortal bodies so that we too share in that victory. And he's coming again. Lord, I pray we will all be ready. That we will get right with you by faith. That we will walk with you in humble obedience. And that we will be busy. Get on board with what you're doing. Proclaiming the gospel. And until then, Lord, though the delay may seem long, that we would wait patiently in hope. And we give you thanks for him. And it is in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.